Hey everyone, I too want to welcome you to this online service of the Hershey Free Church. My name is George Davis. Thanks for being a part of this. And uh, this morning we are continuing our journey uh, through Philippians, so I want to ask you if you've got a Bible to turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. By the way, as you're turning there, let me just remind you that we've got an online bulletin. You can find that at hfcinfo.com. There you can find sermon notes, send in a prayer request. That's where our announcements are located. Also, some of you are new to our church, and we'd love to have the opportunity to connect with you. So there's a connection card there as well. So make sure you check that out at hfcinfo.com. I don't know about you, but, you know, as a sports fan, I've really been missing some of the sports <laughs> that was normally a part of my life during the summer. So in my need for sports, recently I found myself watching The Last Dance, this recently released documentary about Michael Jordan and the amazing championship run of the Chicago Bulls in the 1990s. There was a, a season of eight years in the 90s when Michael Jordan and the Bulls won, won six NBA championships. It's an amazing story. But before that run could start, the Bulls had to go through these guys, Isaiah, Thomas, and the Detroit Pistons. For two years in a row, um, the Bulls were knocked out of the playoffs by the Pistons. The Pistons really were the bad boys of the NBA back then, and they were able to beat the Bulls because they were just a stronger and more physical team. After that happened for the second time in a row, uh, Jordan realized something's got to change. We've got to do something differently. And so that became the, the point in his career where for the first time he started lifting weights. And because of his dedication to these new rhythms, these new patterns, these new practices, other members of the team followed him in doing that as well. He was a great example to his teammates. And, and as a result, uh, from that point on, the Bulls would no longer be pushed around by their opponents. They would no longer be dominated on the court physically by other teams. And from that moment on, over the course, as I said, of those eight years, they were able to win six NBA championships. This morning, we are in the last chapter of, of Philippians, and, and Paul is wrapping up this letter. It's, it's a densely packed section of the letter, and he really gives a final series of commands to, to this church in Philippi. And as he does so, let me just remind you for a moment about the the group of Christians to whom he's writing and some of the challenges they were facing. First of all, there was the challenge of the fact that their, their founder, Paul, is now in a Roman prison, and that was unexpected. Furthermore, there's the challenge of the fact that as, as they've been living out their faith in, in Philippi, it appears they've, they've been experiencing more and more pressure, perhaps ostracism, even uh, certain levels of, of persecution because they're followers of Christ. And thirdly, because of this external pressure, now cracks are starting to develop in relationships within the church. So this is a very complicated situation for the people that are receiving this letter. And I think as we, as we come to this section, it's almost like Paul looks at them and says, look, I know you're going through things you didn't expect. I know you are feeling, I know you're feeling the pressure. But I, I, don't, I don't want you to be pushed around in the court of your circumstances. I don't want you to be dominated because of the situation that you are going through. Instead, I want you to develop some healthy patterns, rhythms, and practices that can enable, and enable you to flourish even through what you're going through, that can help you to thrive, and that can help you experience resilient joy even now. Paul says, I want you to stand firm in the Lord. And then, then he explains certain practices that will help them do that. 
And I think in a similar way, this, this letter speaks to us. It's like Paul is looking at you and looking at me and saying, you know what, I know, I know what you're going through isn't what you expected. <laughs> this isn't the 2020 that you expected. But I, I, don't, I don't want you to be dominated on the court. I don't want you to be pushed around by your circumstances. I want you to thrive. I want you to flourish. I want you to be people of resilient joy, even in this present moment. So, so what are the practices, the habits that Paul talks about in this section of the letter? Well, let me just highlight three that I think are, are very evident in this closing part of the letter. Three practices that will enable us to thrive and flourish, even in the midst of challenging circumstances. And the first is this. Paul says, rejoice. He says, celebrate. So we come to verses 4 and 5 of chapter 4. Paul writes, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Now let's be honest. You, You may be familiar with this passage. It's a very familiar part of the Bible. And I think for some of us, it just strikes us as trite, right? It, it, it strikes us as disconnected from reality. Rejoice in the Lord always. Really? It, it just, it can feel unrealistic perhaps to you. I mean, think again about what this church is going through. The founders in prison, there's external pressure and ostracism, and now there's internal disagreement. And Paul, you're, you're telling us it's okay, just celebrate, rejoice, throw a party. I realize this This command may seem unrealistic, but we need to understand Paul clearly. I don't think he's denying reality. It's not like he's going around saying, hey, look, it's wonderful to be in prison. Hey, look, it's wonderful that you're being ostracized by your neighbors in Philippi. That's not what he's doing. This command isn't about denying reality. Instead, it's about being aware of a deeper reality. Notice what is really foundational in all that Paul says here. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Why? Why do we need to rejoice? Because the Lord is near. That's the deeper reality that actually makes it possible for us to take this seriously. The Lord is near. That's why Paul says you can rejoice. So what exactly, what does that mean? What does it mean for Paul to say the Lord is near? I think it actually has two levels of meaning. First of all, it means he is with us. To say the Lord is near is is to recognize that, you know, as followers of Christ, uh, his spirit is at work within us. We are not alone. Paul is telling the, the Philippians, look, I know this is hard. I know it's not what you expected, but you are not alone in any of this. The Lord is with you. But not only does this mean that the Lord is with us, I think it also means he is at work. Because you see, to say the Lord is near is to acknowledge that one day Christ will return. To say the Lord is near is to acknowledge that God's plan of of rescue and restoration is even now underway. That God's plan is even now moving forward. And even in the midst of hard circumstances, he is fulfilling his promises. And so for Paul, the reason he can rejoice, the reason he can celebrate is because he knows the Lord is near. He knows that God is with him and, and God is at work. For instance, he, this is what he does in chapter one. He's talking about being in prison. It's like, you know, yeah, this isn't what I expected. And <laughs> there are challenges in this and he acknowledges that. But he said, here's the amazing thing. The fact that I am in prison is leading to certain Christians being more serious about their faith. 
and it's causing them to grow in the boldness with which they live out their love of Jesus Christ. So he's aware that even in this this challenging circumstance, God is at work. He's aware that God is near, and that is what leads him to be able to celebrate. So Paul says, look, I, I, I want you to develop the habit, the pattern, the rhythm of rejoicing. This doesn't mean you've got to go around all the time and you're always bubbly, always cheerful. It doesn't mean you have to, uh, you know, always be the life of the party. But what it does mean is that we're we're to have a mindset, an awareness, an attitude that God is with us and God is at work. And I need to be attuned to that. I need to celebrate that. And here's what happened as, as we develop this rhythm, this pattern. Here's what happens as we, you know, in different ways remind ourselves, okay, God is with us, God is at work. I think one of the realities is when we do that, it will actually create in our lives more margin for others. Let me just go back to this passage again. And notice, notice what Paul says right after he talks about rejoicing, right? Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Then he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. And I think, I think these ideas are, are connected. And, and I actually think what Paul is saying is this. As you develop the pattern of, of rejoicing, you are going to develop more margin for being for other people. This phrase, gentleness, um, you could, I, I think you could even perhaps better translate it as a generous spirit. In other words, let your generous spirit be evident to all. In other words, as we cultivate an awareness that God is with us, as as we celebrate that and remind ourselves that we are not alone, um, I think it it puts us in a position to be more generous with others. In other words, our, our joy in our relationship with God will foster a generosity in our relationship with others. And I think this is something we need to hear because, you know, we are, we are at this moment where just due to the pressure, the fatigue, it's, it's just become natural for us to become shorter with one another, to lose margin for other people. And so I think we need to hear this, that as we, as we cultivate the pattern of, of rejoicing and, and reminding ourselves that God is with us and God is at work, it's going to, I think, help foster us to be more generous with other people, even in the midst of, of these stressful Uh, times in which we live. Now, this habit then leads to a second habit that we see in this passage. First, there's the idea of of rejoicing. Then there's there's the idea of redirecting, redirecting our focus to God in prayer. And I think the, the connection here is that as we rejoice, as we celebrate the fact that God is with us and God is at work, it becomes easier, it becomes more natural, more apparent to then bring our request to him in prayer to redirect our focus towards God. So here's what Paul says. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Now, as as Paul talks about redirecting our focus and presenting our request to God, I think the part of this passage where we really get stuck is the first part, right? Do not be anxious about anything. I was in a conversation with some friends this week as we were talking about this passage. And, and one of the things we acknowledged is if you're not careful, this, this statement, don't be anxious about anything, can be very weighty, very heavy, very guilt-inducing. Paul, are you telling me I, I can never be anxious? I should never be worried? 
Because I think all of us know, even if you've got an easygoing personality, all of us know situations where a certain, a certain level of anxiety, a certain level of worry just comes with that experience. This week, I was thinking about that in preparation for this message, and I thought about just in my own life. Maybe this was never, this hasn't been an issue for you, but for me in dating relationships, there was a certain dimension of dating that just fostered a level of nervousness and, and anxiety. I still remember early in our relationship, uh, I, I took Rose out for a date, and you know, there's this nervous energy. It's the first time we go to a movie, and and, uh, you know, just there's that excitement, but the nerves, a little worry. How's it going? How are we doing? And we're sitting in this movie theater. And, and, and the truth is, at some point, I decided I'm going to be really suave and put my arm around her. So that's what I, I did. I put my arm around her. But, but the deal was, it was a dark theater, and I didn't exactly see what I was doing. And in my nervousness, I poked her in the eye, and I knocked her contact out. And we actually, we didn't find the contact until we got to the end of the movie and the house lights came up. Not my finest dating moment. Of course, it's got a happy ending. She married me anyway. But, but the bottom line is we know those life situations where it's just natural for us to be nervous or a certain level of anxiety to, to creep into the experience. But I think, I think Paul is aware of that. Paul isn't, Paul isn't denying that we're going to experience some level of anxiety and worry in certain situations. He's not saying you will never be anxious, you will never be worried. In fact, earlier in the book, in chapter 2, he talks about Timothy, and he talks about Timothy's concern for the Christians in Philippi. And in describing Timothy's concern, he actually uses the same term there that he uses here when he talks about being anxious. So Paul's aware of the fact that, you know, certain situations, certain life realities do foster a certain level of anxiety and worry. Paul's point, I think, here is this. Don't get stuck there. Don't get stuck there. Um, Redirect your thoughts. Focus your energy. Focus that nervous energy on God in prayer. Bring your request to him. And, and interestingly, you'll notice Paul actually uses different words in this passage for prayer, and arguably they, they get more specific. And I think Paul is saying, look, when you come to God in prayer, be specific with your request. Um, be specific in describing your situation. Talk to him. Plead with him. Don't just come to God in a generic, bland sort of way, but but come to him in a way where you're, 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 you're explaining, here's how I feel, here's what I'm up against, here's the challenge. Be bold, be direct, and do so with thanksgiving because we know God is with us and God is at work. And Paul says, you know what? As we do this, as we develop this habit, I, I think we open our lives for the Spirit's work to experience his peace. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, notice this, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Paul says, as you develop this pattern, as this rhythm, you're opening your life up to the presence of God's peace. And I think with this statement, Paul is showing us how important this practice, this habit is. Because if, if, we, don't develop, if we don't develop the pattern of going to God in prayer, kind of, of redirecting our focus in hard situations to God, of redirecting that nervous energy to God in, in prayer and request, if we don't develop that pattern, then I think over time our minds can get stuck in very unhealthy ways of thinking. When we find ourselves in stressful situations, 
I think if we're not careful, that anxiety, the uncertainty, just it takes root and it lodges in our minds. And, and over time, it can be part of some really distorted patterns of, of thinking. And here are just, here just some examples of how our thinking can be distorted, right? All, kind of the all or nothing thinking. You know, if I'm not perfect, if I get anything wrong, I'm a total failure. Or overgeneralizing, right? I've got to get it right. And, 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 and when things don't go right, I, I presume it always happens this way. And that leads to catastrophizing and, and um, you know, I exaggerate my weakness or harmful, ad, or harmful components of what I'm going through. Uh, discounting the positive, always just seeing the worst or self-blame, blaming myself and, and always taking ownership for issues, even if their issues be beyond my control. These are, these are some of the ways that our minds can get stuck in unhealthy thinking if, if we're not developing this pattern of redirecting our thoughts to God. Now, there's one, more, there's one more habit that I want you to see here, right? So Paul says, Paul says, rejoice. I want you to uh, develop the habit of, of celebrating what God is doing and the fact that God is at work. Then I, then I want you to redirect. I want you to redirect in the midst of those hard moments. I want you to redirect your focus, redirect your energy to God and bring your request to him. I want you to be specific. I want you to be bold. I want you to do it with thanksgiving. And because as you do that, his, his spirit can have a protective influence in your life. And finally, I want you to respond. Notice verses eight and nine. Paul says this, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. So, He's saying, look, I want you to celebrate. I want you to rejoice. I want you to redirect your thoughts to God and be honest with him. him. And then then I want you to respond in this situation. And notice he he gives us this this series of virtues, uh, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable. And and what he's saying is, I want you, as, as you encounter this hard situation, I want you to think about these qualities, Think about what they look like. And then he says, I I don't want you to just do this in isolation. I want you to think about also what what you have learned from others. And and therefore, I want you to learn how to put them into practice and respond appropriately. So here's here's what Paul is getting at. I want you to rejoice. I want you to celebrate God's at work. I want you to redirect your thoughts to him in prayer. And then I want you to wrestle as you're in the midst of that situation with what it looks like to respond well. I want you to think about what it looks like in that situation to be true, to be right, to be admirable. And by the way, I mentioned a moment ago that, you know, when we pray and bring our request to God, we need to be specific. And, you know, one way you can do that is actually by praying this verse. As, you, as you're working through a hard situation, trying to figure out how to respond well, just to pray that God would help you understand, well, what is true? What is noble? What is right in this situation? What is the admirable way to respond? And then Paul also wants us to see that as you wrestle with that, you, you don't have to do that in isolation. Paul expects that we're part of a church community, and he talks about learning from others and specifically learning from him 
from his own example. And so he says, look, I want you to wrestle with how to respond well, how to reflect these kind of positive virtues in that situation. And I want you to get help and input from others to learn from their example, to learn through the context of relationships. I know for me, as I think about learning from others, that, you know, there's a retired pastor that that speaks into my life on a regular basis. I think also about another relationship I have with a friend in Chicago who's a great sounding board. So these are people that that help me wrestle with these kinds of questions of how to handle certain situations well. And hopefully there, there can be people like that in your life. So Paul says this, I want, you, I want you to rejoice. Even now, I want you to develop the habit of, of celebration. Rejoice because God's at work. And as you go through whatever you're going through, I want you to redirect your focus, redirect that nervous energy to God and be specific in bringing your request to him. And then as you do that, I want you to respond. I want you to wrestle with what does it look like in this situation to respond well? And and how do I do that well? And I can get input from others. I can have that conversation with others. I can learn from the people that I'm getting to know in the life of my church so that I can respond well in this situation. Those are the rhythms that Paul is encouraging us to develop. So maybe, let me, just give you, let me just give you one example. Maybe you're part of a family, and now your guys are starting to make plans for going back to school, and the, the truth is your district has released information about what you're going to be doing, and it, you know what? It's not what you were hoping for. Maybe you're learning the realities that some of those activities you were looking forward to this fall, they're not going to be in place. Maybe you learned the reality. You're going to have to start and the family members in your, in your family that are in school, they're going to have to start with a hybrid schedule. You're like, ugh, we're going to have to do that again. So what, are the, what do these rhythms look like in that situation? Well, I think, first of all, we've got to come back to the, just the foundation. You know what? The Lord is near. So, okay, we, we've got to remind ourselves. I need to remind myself. This, it's not what I expected, not what I hoped for, but God is at work. And to be open to that. And even to allow that, that, that truth and, and that pattern of reminding myself that God is, is at work to stretch me so that I have more margin for other people. So I rejoice. And then I redirect. You know, I'm, I'm looking at what this could be like for, for my family. And it's like, oh, here are the complications. So I'm going to bring those to God in prayer. And I'm going to be specific. God, here here are the challenges that we're going to face academically because we're having to do this schedule, relationally because of what we're doing. And and so I just, just be open to God. But even as you're praying to also wrestle with God, okay, God, what what does it look like for us individually, as a family, to handle this way, to handle this in a way that is truthful, that is noble, that is admirable, and, and to wrestle with what does it look like to respond? And maybe part of kind of wrestling with that is just paying attention to how other people are are responding, what you can learn from previous experience from the people that are in the same life stage. And to wrestle with, okay, this isn't what we expected, but how are we going to respond well? For instance, as a parent, how am I going to seek to set a positive attitude in my family? What are some of the the things that maybe we can add to our weekly rhythm? Or what are some of the ways we can do do things as a family that just add a little more energy or fun or variety to the schedule that none of us desired? How can we do more things outdoors? How How can we do this well? And the reality is, is we take these rhythms seriously, rejoicing, redirecting, responding. We open our lives up to experience, even now, the resilient joy that Paul describes throughout this letter.
And once again, <laughs> I think Paul is looking at you, he's looking at me and saying, look, I know this isn't what you expected. I know this isn't the season you expected. But I don't want you to be pushed around on the court. I don't want you to be dominated by things beyond your control. I want you to thrive and flourish even now, even before all of this is over. So I want you to rejoice. I want you to redirect. And I want you to respond so that you can experience resilient joy. Let's pray together. Gracious God, um, we come to this, which is for many of us a very familiar passage. And I, I confess sometimes parts of the Bible that are so familiar become parts of the Bible that it's easy simply to gloss over. And yet embedded in these very familiar words to some of us is this truth, these patterns, these rhythms that can really open our lives up to your transformation to your resilient joy. So Father, I pray that, that we, would, we would wrestle, what does this look like for me? What does this look like in my relationships? What does this look like in my workplace? What does this look like in my family? To rejoice, to remind myself that you're at work, to redirect, to come back to you and redirect that energy and focus in bringing my request to you and to respond, to wrestle with how do, how do I now respond to this well as a follower of Jesus? Father, may we see that these practices, these simple rhythms can put us on the path of resilient joy. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.